0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DMs Book Club. My name is Ryan, and with me today, as ever, I have Fiona. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you Very good, all mm. covered in lore and Greek-esque gods That we've been reading through today Which I'm looking forward to diving into But how's your week been
1: otherwise, you are good? Very good, thank you I've been on holiday, which has been very nice And I realised through, obviously, because I'm on holiday And I don't do very much when I'm on holiday Other than edit all these episodes We will be just past Christmas uh, So all the stuff we oh, did wow. about creating your own stuff That sort of very seasonal Christmas world I created That's going up over Christmas so i'm just amazing at scheduling content so
0: foresight is absolutely scary and exactly. a little bit worrying oh wow i did that's mad christmas. i know i hope christmas was good for everybody yeah and, and not too. um isolationy <laughs> oh,
1: oh. <Yeah. laughs>
0: i don't know it's gonna be a weird one this year but i'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to just like putting the tree up i think as as of the time of recording we were mm. thinking about doing it
1: next weekend
0: i think mm. that was like close enough that isn't yes.
1: antisocial. Well, no, it's it's a mixture I of like, because I, I don't have any Christmas decorations here because I'm I just I just never. I look, this is we could what? do an old podcast about like why I don't do it, but it's fine. <laughs> but it's nice, it's nice that you're doing it closer to December. Like, I hear people are already putting their stuff up because obviously they need to feel a bit of cheer in current lockdown and stuff. Whereas oh, I'm like, it's yeah. in the
0: underworld for people like that. But like, it, no, I, I, I thought it would be close enough. But oh, we love putting them up for all, mm-hmm. all the different lights. And, uh, well, to be fair, my wife is absolutely obsessed with Christmas and everything Aww. to do with it. So it's more of a case of just sort of appeasing her for as long as I can to, <laughs> to you know make everything happy but christmas puts free up the mm. Christmas gods yeah there is no Christmas god in this <laughs> Speaking of gods and all this Greek stuff, (laughs) tell us a little bit about what we're doing today.
1: All right. So today, uh, in our sort of first of two parts, we're going to look at the Mythic Odyssey of Theros book. So it is a source book that came out very recently this year, and it is a Magic the Gathering campaign setting from 2013 that has been converted into 5E. And in particular, what we are looking at, because we've talked a lot in the last couple of episodes about creating your own worlds and creating, I mean, I know that's a DM book club anyways, like how To create this And put it in this I appreciate that Format we've Tried and tested But (laughs) One thing I don't know if you'll be Surprised by this Ryan But I'm not a big fan Of gods in general I I find it's like bold statement <laughs> start strong um well we've played it in civilization as well when we've played games and we've played it with my fiance and all that sort of thing i cannot wrap my head around religious wins or religious impact on stuff because for me in my normal everyday life it's not a big factor and obviously it depends on you know how religious you're feeling or anything like that you know family etc this mm-hmm. setting in case you haven't guessed is pretty much a rip-off of greek mythology any campaigns uh, any adventure sorry that's set in Theros will have an overriding god influence in some way and actually reading it through is actually quite interesting to just have your adventurer your character have a patron essentially essentially they're all warlock patrons I think that's how I like to think about them and that they are giving you power or they're giving you their blessing to continue their work and I just found it absolutely fascinating that your whole campaign isn't necessarily based around what you the player wants but some other entity who's related to all these other entities and and so on so i thought why not have let's just say a truncated look at all 15 gods within an hour and a half <laughs> we'll see how that goes but yes that's what we're looking at today
0: i know for somebody who doesn't like going into sort of gods and pantheons it, it was a unique choice i'm looking mm. forward to seeing which ones you've sort of picked up as, as having caught your attention I mean where do you want to start because there are obviously there's, there's this whole pantheon of gods who exist and walk amongst the world maybe that's a good place to start in terms of sort of how they interact with the world because this isn't a regular DD world is it this is not a, you know the gods are sort of real but they don't really exist or have an effect on people directly this is much more in your face and um you know they, they have a genuine reaction and existence on the world as we know it
1: exactly that and I think the thing that stood out for me as soon as I started reading this is Theros itself as a material plane uh has two other planes attached to it you have the underworld where eventually anything that dies goes there and then the starry realm of the gods above it called the Nyx which I think is hilarious because I think we've all met a character called Nyx in some part of our campaign so the fact (laughs) to have a whole bloody realm called Nyx is brilliant I like to think, which, did your character
0: Nyx come first or did this come first? I'm, I'm curious I, as to whether well, you named yourself after a plane of existence
1: I think I, there was a D&D Beyond survey about like what is your first character's name Or a character name that's used the most And Nyx is I think the third most used name uh, It's on, the, it's on the, the gnome name list and I think people just are like, ah, oh, Nyx, that's a cool sounding name. So I think the name came first in the D&D stuff, but then the Magic the Gathering the Theros setting came, and then me. So
0: it's, it's all, it's all <laughs> so quite you, interesting. You, ident- you, you made the name into what it is today, I think. Is,
1: I, you, is I agree. Think so. I agree. No one's heard of Nyx, the small artificer Gnome, and no one ever shall. It's... <laughs> <laughs> But a few things just to note about this realm. Again, when we talked about creating our own worlds and stuff, there was obviously a couple of rules and stuff that just outline what the world is. And I think that's kind of important when it comes to talking about Theros and the gods themselves. The big thing about Theros is that it has this amazing metaphysical property where anything that is believed or anything that is thought of and sort of given a justification eventually becomes real. And that's how the gods came about. So they are originally these sort of universal ideals that mortals hold hold dear to themselves and slowly surely, through sort of devotion and praying to them and doing certain ceremonies and stuff like that, the gods themselves sort of came into existence and their power is from getting this devotion, having mortals pray to them. And it's not necessarily a zero-sum gain as it sort of describes in the book. It talks about like you can pray to multiple gods. Their main sort of goal is trying to get one over on the other gods, but that is just reducing their influence and getting other people to pray to them. So again, very sort of uh, politics, I like to like you are all constantly sort of uh, getting people to sort of pray to you because you will help them in the in the harvest or you will help them uh, give blessings in the war and stuff like that so I think that's the, that's a big thing to think about when you're thinking of the Knicks is that everything is here because it has been believed in at some point
0: that's really cool yeah they're like a big squabbling family aren't they as yeah. much as anything like they're all sort of related if not they're the same thing but they're mm-hmm. not and they're not related and it's all based on the stories you read and but yeah the idea that they exist because people believe in them mm-hmm. is a really cool one and I always think of like a sort of Terry Pratchett-esque sort of like feeling about that one where it's like oh, the gods only exist because people believe in them and if you stop mm-hmm. believing in them then they stop existing and exactly they're just competing with each other for, for mortal services and mortal worship and stuff i mean that that as a as a concept has been put into the game hasn't it this sort of idea that the more you do for a god the more you believe in the god and do things in their name mm-hmm. the more the god sort of exists in your life and and uh, sort of bestows things upon you
1: Yes and again this was goes back to what we were talking about before when we talked about honor and sanity as a like a, a seventh and eighth modifier for your character there's something called a piety score so with with gods they will choose champions or people adventurers that they hold up high as that this is the ideal of what i want my followers to do being a champion of a god isn't there's no benefit in of itself like you're not going to be like well i'm the champion of uh, helioid i i you know you need to respect me that's as it is but if you do services and actions that are in line with your god's ideal then you gain so and benefits and essentially is called piety every session or so if you do something that is within the, your aligned ideals, you get a point or two, depending on how your DM's running it. And at certain points, you get levels essentially, or you get special bonuses. And it's you get them at sort of level three piety, 10, 25, and 50 as well. And most of them, when you look through the pantheon, they're all very similar. You probably get a couple of extra spells that you can cast if you're not a spell caster, advantages on saving throws. And usually, if you get, become a champion of your particular ideal, so when you get 50, or more piety points you get an increase in a stat that is related to your god and then that maximum also increases by two as well so mm. it is essentially just um a, like a i've now completely forgotten what the, an ability score improvement i completely forgot what <laughs> they were for a second because i clearly i can never use them um sure. but, but this thing again it's optional Again, none of your adventures have to be a champion of a god, but actually it is makes sense in the setting because the gods are so... Uh, they are here. They are living and breathing. And the other thing I'll go on to before we move on, the other thing I really like about this, and it's something that I... Didn't really consider until reading about it is that it talks about the gods being because of the way we, they are sort of they are brought into existence. They're not all powerful and they're not all knowledgeable. They are fickle. They are infallible. Like they're very very strong and pretty much indestructible. So you can't necessarily take a god on as a mortal. Or you might need several forces to take one down. But they they're not this all seeing all knowing presence that we maybe think when Western gods are that they you know they're not all good and they're not all evil there are the sort of shades in between and I just thought that's just a really fascinating thing to have in your campaigns and I don't know if other d d campaigns are similar to that or not. There's this idea
0: that they see everything that goes on within a temple or yes. a sort of a, a sanctified image of themselves or statue or, or whatever it might be but yeah outside of that who knows what they can actually understand and do? It's it's a I like it as an idea. It's really cool. You mm-hmm. sort of um you could plan against a god and it just wouldn't know what you were doing, or you could try and backstab it, or or like a lot of the tales when you go through this, it always gives a good like a set of um, stories about that god and sort of different fables that go along with it, and a lot of them always involve tricking a god or hiding about a god, which which is a very it is a very sort of Greek. Mm. idea and uh and, and sort of norse idea that the gods are actually sometimes they're portrayed as being a bit stupid as mm. much as they are all powerful or just even fallible which I, I i do enjoy that as an idea like you're praying to something that isn't perfect yes it's not um it's not perfect in any
1: way and yeah just like talking about the myths as well i'm sure we'll probably pick out some of our favorites or i'll talk about them what again what i love about this book is that the myths Are short, like they literally just capture what the story is within a paragraph, and it's like three or four stories per god that just sort of summarise what the god is. And they're like, you know, like uh, Krufix, who will go on to that he is a god of sort of horizons and the passage of time and stuff. But having the ability to be a judge in between stories and have that role in there. There's a couple of stories that sort of link several gods together that clearly are important to Theros in general, but at the same time you don't. Necessarily need to know them. I think they're just really nice examples of like how these gods are and what their relationship is to each other. So I, I would highly recommend reading them out. It's just like maybe about twenty minutes of reading the individual stories. So yeah, I really enjoyed that about the spherals.
0: Anything. It's like a really good piece of sort of fiction. You know, let like yeah. have a look at the stories and get distracted. And and this is like a really good example. If ever you you do want to lose a couple of hours, just go and read about the actual greek pantheon as well because Mm -hmm. the stories and 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 norse as well they're Mm -hmm. all just really funny like the ideas that kind of sprung up to explain the world Mm. i always love them they're really really good Mentioned one of the pantheons. So, where would you like to start? What sort of is there a way of organizing these gods? Is there a way of actually tackling them in like an alphabetical or, or order of power, or how would you go about
1: it? So, I will say the way it's ordered in the book by alphabetical thing is completely incomprehensible to me. I find like it's just really, I guess you can read it through, but until you start reading like how they came about or when they came about, which I think is more important, then you can make the connections between them. So it does start off with a sort of general like, here is the four stages of how the pantheon has been formed. In the first stage, it talks about the before times. There was nothing except the chaos of the NYX itself, where these things, these titans, sort of came about because mortals' fears sort of envisioned and sort of enfleshed themselves. So you have stuff like death's hunger, that sort of the horrid sort of feeling that you're going to be claiming by death uh, nature's wrath was another one i quite like um here's another thing very quickly i'd say the one thing i really dislike about this book is that there's no pronunciation guide at all <laughs> so you see we, we do know you like a pronunciation i guide. do like a pronunciation but when you have like i think it's called flage, which is just p-h-l-a-g-e you're like I mean that that could be Flage Or it could be Flage I don't know But you have these sort of titans Essentially who Again if you've ever seen Hercules the film Obviously these titans destroyed the world and, And mortals lived in fear of them and then comes the second generation, these two sort of out of the chaos, these two gods in quotation marks, again, it's not really discussed where they came from, if they are gods, if they're completely different entities to the rest of the pantheon, but you have Clothius and you have Crucifix, and together they binded these titans to the underworld. And what happened was Clothius, the god of sort of destiny and There's the two themes of destiny and fate, which is sort of outlined in the bio, but I always confuse them and put them as the same thing. But fate, as I understand it, is this tapestry that everything is predetermined, very much like the fates in general, creating this tapestry that all human life, all mortal life, sorry, is determined. And when your time comes, you will end up in the underworld. There's no getting away from that. But destiny itself, that's people are destined for greatness, they are destined to do certain things, and that is Clothius. And Clothius is described as this incredibly tall woman with six curling horns, but her big feature is having amazing amount of hair, white long hair that sort of covers her eyes, covers her her weapons and stuff like that. And her hair are the strands of destiny, which weave in and entangle humans and, and mortals alike. Clothius then goes down to the underworld to ensure that the titans do not uh, leave or do not survive. and only recently in mythology has Clothius come back and sort of uh, sort of to see the destruction that mortals had and the other gods had and ruining and changing destiny strands and now her purpose is to try and untangle them and put things back in its certain order so that's sort of Clothius's side then you have crux Cruthix is the sense of mystery he is described as A cloaked figure With sort of forearms You just do not see This person This sort of shadow That sort of descends over He's sort of seen As sort of the leader Of this pantheon This sort of a silent uh, judge that sort of uh, arbitrates between the different gods and their squabbles. But he has the power to bind any gods that step out of line to the starry realm itself. And there's a story about how there's so much like confusion and so much arguments between the gods that he wrote the name of every god into the world tree, including himself. And they were all sort of bounded there, presumably to have some sort of like reunion or to have some sort of <laughs> confrontation and stuff. But what's interesting, and again, I I know I'm jumping back and forth here, but the Nyx itself, the starry realm, every night it reenacts these stories of the gods and you can look up and you can see, you know, great Helioid fighting off with uh, Perforus, etc. But as soon as this happened, as soon as Crufix binded the gods to the trees, the stars went out. And there's a great silence across the land. And just that image of just you seeing that as a mortal, you know, shit has gone. <laughs> like, you know, it, it is it is bad times. And so those are sort of the two oldest, again, in quotation marks, deities who sort of sit at the top of this pantheon. The idea of destiny and the idea of sort of the passage of time and the unknowable, I guess, is of Prometheus yeah. and Cruthex.
0: I like to think of that silence as being the ultimate timeout. Like, no, you guys, you've all misbehaved in your corner, lights out, no gadgets. No gadgets. (laughs) That's gone. (laughs) They're very cool. I mean, I have to say the artwork running through this book is is amazing when you actually look at it. And I love the idea that, I mean, all of the gods have this kind of idea that if they're lit, they have a sort of... Substantial form to them But if they're not slits You just sort of see right through them mm. Through to the NYX And this sort of starry plane And Crufix is just this silhouette And I, I, I do love that sort of imagery to him Where he's mm. just, it's just stars And nebulas and everything But yeah, yeah they, these two They're definitely older They're definitely, I would say Consider themselves to be wiser um, mm. Than the others I don't think either of them Is sort of good you could describe they're probably just neutral and yeah. and sort of they just are.
1: Yeah, they're um, both both described as neutral alignment. and it's interesting. Again, and I know we'll come back to this as well. Any champions of these gods, they can. There's obviously ways you can get like sort of favor. So like, how did you come into their sort of uh, these gods? Why were you chosen as these gods? And then the ideals, and most of them, I think, bar good have this sort of thing where you can be like any alignment good evil chaotic lawful etc but certainly with the neutral ones it is clear that it can go either way which i think is just absolutely
0: fascinating exactly the gods kind of don't really pick well they do pick but they don't specify the Mm -hmm. the exact ideals and and personality types that follow them which i quite like it's all a bit of a, mm-hmm. a messy nebula so these two were first they kind of existed they bound some titans they made the world banished gods to the nix and uh and generally i think they're described as having a fairly decent relationship between the two of them they they kind of respect each other for being the old farts in the in the pantheon and yeah. uh
1: there is a mutual respect i think they they trust each other the most but there is this sort of again it's talked about with kruphix because like i said clothius went to the underworld to ensure the titans were bounded but now clothius has now uh ascended back to the nix Crufix is like wondering what does this mean what does this do and what i like as well again all the gods have their own descriptions about how they appear and stuff, as we've sort of talked about what i loved about Crufix is is that he rarely speaks, but when he does speak, he can speak into the minds of all the gods, like an audible whisper and quiet surrounds him like a shroud, all these sort of metaphors and imagery. And I like this idea of an unshakable sort of leader, but as soon as his friend or his, his partner in crime or whatever appears, there's a moment where he might flinch, but nobody else sees it. I just thought, that is just really cool. And just, like I said, so Crufix is sort of the, the overview of sort of the acquisition of knowledge and the cycles of time. It's, it talks about this horizon thing where you can always see the horizon, but you can never get to it. Mm-hmm. I think that just really sums up what Crufix is, this sort of idea that you're always reaching for more, always getting there, but you never, never get there. There's no way to perfect it at all.
0: Oh, deep.
1: Very, very deep. deep.
0: <laughs> if these two are very old very difficult to grasp sort of concepts of fate and destiny have we got any any others that may be a little bit more um obvious in in what they represent
1: indeed so it comes now to the third generation the other thing i'd say as well sorry before i move on both clothius and crufix don't necessarily need people devoted to them for their power to exist compared to the other gods. Certainly Clothius, because destiny is so interwoven into the fabric of the plane, she will always be there. She will always have this power, which I think is quite scary compared to the other gods who are always fighting for more power and stuff. But as you said, we're moving on to the third generation of gods. And here we have sort of five gods in total. The two, and I say most important in sort of quotation marks here, are Helioid, uh, Heliod, I always say, again, it would be, would be great to have a pronunciation guide. And Erebus, they're sort of not even twins. Again, some people talk, we've talked about this before, about like if where the origin is, who's what parents, et cetera. There is questions about Helioid and Erebus and how they are connected. But those are the sort of two most uh, important in the third generation. But then you also have uh, Nilea. Perforus and Thassa, who are sort of, they sort of embody the different sort of natural forces. So Niela is the goddess of the hunt. Perforus is like the mighty earth and this sort of spark of creativity. And Thassa is the sort of moving, like sort of mighty force of the sea. So there's sort of three elements there.
0: Oh, those are good sunk into. So the third generation, of so these ones, they existed after mortals existed so they almost have been sort of created by that first sort of wave of belief and mm. and and sort of the ideas behind what people what people used to pray to back when civilization hadn't really taken hold yet
1: exactly that and and like I said, we'll go into the two most important ones. And I say this important, they had the most impact on Theros itself. So you got Heliod and you got Erebus. And Heliod is lawful good. The image of him is, I imagine him to be sort of like the Captain Hammer or King Richard, essentially, this sort of ideal of good lawfulness, you know, the sun god essentially. And Everyone in Theros pays some sort of lip service to this god, whether or not it is just by like just as a morning greeting, perhaps, or if they actually do every single sort of I think it's like breakfast, lunch, dinner, praying as he makes his way across the sky. He is an interesting character because, again, whilst he is this sort of encapsulation of lawful good, he feels that he should be the ruler of the whole pantheon. He thinks he, he should take his rightful place and remake the nicks in his image there's a great quote in it which i loved was saying like he doesn't expect a servitude or anything like that he just wants people to listen to him and take out his orders I mean, <laughs> that's uh
0: i just want people to listen to what i want to say you know because i'm right everything i do is right
1: He's very bold, very brash. And because of his uh, ambitions, it rankles up all the other gods who may not want to be leader of the Nyx, but also it encroaches on their territory. Certainly uh, Niela and Thassa, they don't see him as much of a big issue because like, they control sort of these natural elements. There's only so much helioid could do until it's sort of they just retake it back. So they're not too fussed. But his biggest sort of rival, his biggest sort of not even enemy, but just the other side of the coin, I guess, is Erebus, who is sort of the lord of the underworld. Again, Hades, if people are more unfamiliar with that sort of terminology. He is sort of the god of everything that comes to pass. He sort of knows that anything that dies will belong to him in the end. So he's a very patient patient god who takes his time his hate is when souls escape the underworld without due cause and this is another part of theros which again i've sort of skipped over but when a soul escapes through the underworld and back onto the mortal realm their sort of soul their identity splits from the body uh, again, I will get this wrong, the sort of the pronunciation of this, but it's Elyon. And Elyon it's like a spirit of some sort, but it leaves this sort of hollow, horrific body with no memories, no ability to form uh, long term experiences. And their face is sort of a hollow sort of mask of nothing. So, and they have to hide their features with this golden, beautiful sort of death mask. And they are called mm-hmm. the returned. And Erebus hates these creatures. They are an abomination because they, they are defiant to his rule. So he does everything in his power to make sure they do not make it uh, across the river that circles the world and reclaims them. And you, when you read about these, the myths about it, about people coming to, to reclaim their loved ones in exchange for their own souls, he's more than happy to do it, but at a big cost. And again this sort of idea that helios uh, again i'm never going to say his name right helioid and uh, erebus are constantly fighting each other because it's like good versus evil who rules what etc erebus is very happy ruling the underworld he has no intention to rule higher but the fact helioid just wants to rule everything is enough to sort of have this horrible grating tension between them and i just think it's Mm. great like (laughs) yeah it's it's dark and light isn't it and Mm. i like the idea that a
0: helioid just always kind of has this sort of realization that erebus could just win if it wanted to or like there's always that potential that you know he can't be defeated he's always going to sort of exist in some sort of weird way and uh yeah but i like yeah the the return they're just a horrible concept I, i find them really creepy
1: the origin of how these two came about is interesting. There's always that sort of way they talk about like, well Helioid was always here, the sun was always here, but then when the sun shone on him he saw his own shadow and then was frightened of it. So he cast the shadow away from him into the underworld and that shadow is Erebus. And then there's talk about how Erebus actually was the one beforehand. He is the elder brother and the younger brother of Helioid is sort of the chaotic one of the two, even though lawful good. There's always these different perspectives on how people. See gods depending on what they follow and stuff, but I think that's what makes this sort of whole pantheon really interesting. And this is the thing that interests me: is that there's just not one interpretation of the gods. You, you know, when we've been in campaigns and stuff, and you said, "Here is this god," and you're like, "Oh, that's exciting because they like fighting and stuff like that." But then having the other end of it going, "Well, why are they fighting? What is their intention?" It's nice to see that in such sort of clear, defined roles, I guess, in such a way. I will say that there just seem to be a lot of gods. <laughs> to the point where you're like there's there's too many but i just like they are just these ideals that people do hold valuable and then attribute uh, alignments to them i just thought yeah just really really great
0: there's was that idea that you know they exist purely because people want them to exist in a sort of weird way <laughs> definitely it sort of prayed into existence so we've got darkness and light what else mm-hmm. have we got what, what what so you were talking about more natural forces in the world
1: so the sort of final three of the third generation, you've got Niella, Perforus, and Thassa. So Niella is sort of the, the god of the natural world. The, she controls the seasons, the metamorphosis, rebirth, and forest. Pretty much is climate change in a bottle, I think. Like some of these gods have a bit more details than others. So she has a few like extra things. Like she's got like a, a lynx that she looks after. There's like a fawn who's her favorite friend. Again, it's little details that can come up later in myths, but you don't necessarily need to know all about it. Her big thing, Naella, is that she controls the turning of the seasons and she can make it so that when she is angry, she just stops. The change. So you could have a year long of just winter and cold and nothing grows and stuff like that because she has been uh, displeased in some way. There's talk of like the first hunt, the sort of the spring festival that people hold, and she may go in disguise to them to see how, you know, if she's being devoted into some way, if she's been honoured in the right way. And if so, then she will give them uh, beautiful bountifulness and promises them greatness for the rest of the year. But if not, then she will cause havoc and sort of this sort of changeable, changeable outlook. She is neutral good, so ultimately she does want the best for the natural world, but she's unpredictable, like the the winds of change, which I just thought was great. She appears as a dryad and she's known for her archery. So again, if you're thinking maybe like Athena or anything like that, she's known for that sort of hunting, but it is only hunting that is in good grace. She loves the competition. She loves sort of the adrenaline, I guess, but she doesn't like the sport of it. She doesn't like people killing just unnecessarily. It's a great story, which I, I think it's my favorite story out of all the sort of myths called the Free Hunters where she comes upon the three hunters and demands sort of compensation for the kills they're about to do. One brings a stag, to sort of offers it up to her, so she transforms him into a stag to compensate for it. Another brings, I think it was, I don't know, something about money, I think, I can't remember, all the wealth from his uh, family, and she transforms him to a tree that just hangs by a root onto the cliff face. And then the final one sort of is very remorseful and sort of gets to his knees, and then a butterfly Appears on his finger, and so he gives that to her, and to show the sort of I guess I don't know showing that he's frail or, or is in touch with his emotions, she blesses his household for the rest of time. And I just think stuff like that, anything in threes, is always a good story because <laughs> you will sort of learn through the uh, through the stuff on that. But yeah, Nyala is just the vision of the the green dryad with a with a bow on her back and just using the sort of the changes of the season is just quite oh, quite powerful. I really like that one
0: no she's really cool it's sort of like an artemis-esque sort of yeah, yeah goddess of the hunt no it's, it's really really cool and i like the idea that she sort of yeah goes after people before they've even done something like i know what you're gonna do don't you try and like get on get around this mm, Don't you know, tune for yourself
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> And then you have Perforus, uh, the god of the forge. Again, if you've seen any sort of Hercules or read any mythology, again, the idea of the forge is quite thing. What I like about Perforus, he is the god of artisans and craftsters. Any sort of blacksmithy or anything like that will have a shrine to him or have some sort of a symbol somewhere. It just talks about how he will make amazing bits of art or weaponry whilst just talking to other gods just quietly and then once the conversation is over just break it and start anew this idea that to create the perfect thing you just constantly go back and remake and break the mold and stuff like that just there's just something about that just constantly destructive creativity is really great and my favorite story from him is that he is jealous of twins so we'll probably come on to uh Oh, I'll never get his name right. Eros and Mogus, the twins, the actual twins in the fourth mm. generation. He's so jealous of them that he made his own twin out of the Nyx. <laughs> I know, right? But this twin, obviously, it's not alive. It's it's Nyx-born. It has the creativity, but it doesn't have that spark. So over the years, Perforus has to patch him up. And this twin, this this sort of construct, I guess, works in his workshop and can make amazing stuff, but because it doesn't have this life this anything you can't compare it to the stuff that Perforus does that idea that you want something so desperate almost like a Frankenstein's monster type thing where you create it but it is not exactly what you want and I just oh I just I just love stuff like that this idea of like having the joyful productivity and these like these sort of frustrated anger of things not working this sort of as a creativity sort of thing rather than this like I don't know combat I guess there's just something about Perforus which is just like this is just really cool i was gonna say about all the gods to be honest with you
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i like it yeah it's 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 the creativity but also the the drawbacks that come with creativity the sort of more accidental destruction and the lack of purpose and the Mm. fixation on being perfect without actually getting anywhere like i I can see all those traits as sort of almost like I like to think of a lot of these gods if you think about the warning stories, but the sort of stories they may tell children to like Mm. send the morals down the lines of, oh, don't be like this person because then you'll end up doing this and that and blah, blah, blah. you can see a lot of that in in, in him in the sense that it's like don't fixate too much on being perfect because eventually you'll have nothing and you'll just still be making it over and over and over and over again
1: i do quite like in one of his goals again all these gods have like goals of what they want to do whether it's lead the Knicks or to do other things my favorite one of his is that his biggest wish is just to be left alone to do his creations and i'm like god i i think we both we both felt that at some point i just want to be left alone to do my thing and not be interrupted by all All these other outside influences. I just like, yeah, I just thought that that's just such a a mood, I think. (laughs) Finally, we've got Thassa. And Thassa is just essentially the god of the sea, aquatic creatures, and in brackets, unknown depths, which I'm just like, ooh, great. Basically, the sea is Thassa, and Thassa is the sea. She can speak through water droplets, she can uh, like crush ships in a brief moment her children are described as the Krakens of the sea so any harm that comes to any creatures sh- you will feel her wrath as a result she's described almost like a female triton thing with tentacles for hair and then a crab-legged crown if you can imagine that again the image is quite spectacular and she likes to tower over these mortals again she's neutral so she can be either evil or good but i just like the idea she just likes towering over because she just like fuck it why the hell not i am the sea they can't they can't stop me
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly she's like a big force of an entity like uh, you you can't imagine yeah fighting water if she has Mm. 60 70 percent of the planet under her control and entire areas that no one else would go Mm -hmm. yeah you can see why she would be a
1: bit scary a bit like crew she talks about sort of the long-term change you know whilst change does happen it takes a long time so like the sea eroding like the cliffs, the defeating or getting to uh, cities and washing them away slowly but surely. It is the eventual things that everything will come back to the water. And all these gods have various sort of relationships with each other. So, like Nyala, Perforus, and Thassa, they're all sort of. They're considered as siblings because of the way that nature is with them. But the idea that like Perforus and Thassa are better friends than they are with Niella is a great thing. I like the idea that there's always one favourite sibling or two of them gang up together on the other one. But they're all equally, they all admire each other, but also at the same time are very wary of each other because they know their power can easily, certainly with Perforus, could just easily... Uh, erupt at any time, and they could just take that that creative whim and just destroy big areas of land. So I was just like, oh, yeah. I love all, all of a sudden. and the way they sort of connect to people. So that's sort of the third generation. You've got Helioid, Erebus, so there's a top two there, that life and death, or light and, and dark even, and then you have the nature forces of Nyella, Perforus, and Thassa.
0: Awesome. And mm-hmm. next time we're going to talk about the fourth generation, aren't we? Which is yes. more of a sort of um, civilized concepts, I would say, or the things that civilization may bring after existing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and some really cool ones in there. Looking forward
1: to it. <music> before we go ryan is there anything you'd like to plug if there's anything like what are you up to or anything like that before you continue you can
0: come find me on discord come say hello i have an Earth of ryan discord it'd be good to say hello to people um <laughs> otherwise you can find me on this podcast where i lurk pretty much every
1: episode most episodes yeah definitely. most
0: episodes <laughs> most
1: episodes. and i am uh, fiona uh, i run the what am i rolling podcast a twice monthly rpg one shot podcast going well as always i'm doing some more panels coming up or the they're, oh, they'll probably pass by now again time is wibbly wobbly right now but doing some of those doing some more streams and stuff so if any if any doubt just check out the website or check out the twitter and there'll be more details of it there woo-hoo, woo-hoo. all right until next time uh, we'll see you then see you later Bye. Bye.